Welcome back to Series 3 of Mud Between Your Toes, Conversations with Pete Wood. In this series, I'm interviewing people from around the world, from all walks of life, and all with stories to share. So sit back and enjoy. Hello, my guest today, Gary Stokes, is the co-founder of Oceans Asia and former director of Sea Shepherd Asia. Gary has spent the past 20 years investigating and exposing the shark fin industry, illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing, COVID-19 face masks and plastic pollution in our seas, reef propagation, and the use of marine animals and traditional medicine. More recently, he appeared in the Netflix blockbuster documentary film, Sea Spiracy, which went directly to number one in USA, UK, Singapore, and Hong Kong, and the top five globally. I'm sure many of you know the film. So Gary Stokes, it's an honor to have you on Conversations with Peter Wood. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Peter. Hey, listen, before we get to see Spiracy, which I'm excited to chat about, because it was an incredible and very divisive <coughs> movie. But first, can you tell us how you ended up setting up Oceans Asia? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> in a roundabout way, um, I grew up in the Mediterranean. I grew up surrounded by the ocean. So uh, I guess that's where my love for the ocean began. Um, I'm also, my background is I'm a photographer and a, a diving instructor. So those two sort of merged and um, became a bit more of an infatuation. I was underwater all the time, um, taking my camera, photographing all these beautiful scenes and everything. But also I started noticing the degradation of our oceans, especially when I returned to Malta after 27 years of being away and seeing the little cove that I used to swim in as a kid, completely decimated and just dead. Um, and that's when I started to turn my camera to the conservation sort of angle and start to tell the story of what's happening in our oceans. Um, and part of, part of that sort of journey um, found me with the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society. So uh, some pictures I had of bluefin tuna that I took in Malta uh, they they picked up and asked for, um, you know, the rights to be able to use them for a campaign. I said, yes, of course, no problem. Um, so we ended up, uh, you know, joining forces and I joined Sea Shepherd and I ended up going to Antarctica with them. And um, the rest was sort of history. When I came back, I, I'd already been doing some conservation work here in Hong Kong on the shark fin industry. But when I came back, I ended up, um, you know, going full on, you know, it, it sort of, it was a life-changing time of my life, going to Antarctica and chasing the whalers. Um, so, yeah, so... That, that was on Sea Shepherd. That was with Sea Shepherd. And then uh, more recently, about two, two and a half years ago, um, Sea Shepherd decided budget-wise, they had so many ships, they needed the budget for the ships. So they've pulled out of Asia. Um, and that was that was saddening, but um, I understood why. Um, and I wanted to carry on my work, so I, you know, set up Oceans Asia with my partner in crime, who is uh, Dr. Till Phelps Bondroff, who lives in Victoria, Canada. Uh, he was actually my roommate when I went to Antarctica. He's the academic. He's the supposedly he's the brains of the operation. Um, 
<laughs> or we like to think so. Um, and yeah, so we set up Oceans Asia only literally two and a half years ago and uh, have been tackling all the different issues that I was doing before anyway, which was, you know, as you mentioned in your intro, you know, the plastic issue, um, which um, I sort of ended up being forced into um, when we had in 2012 the pellet spill here in Hong Kong. And I ended up leading the campaign with uh, Tracy Reed with the government to clean up Hong Kong. So I was exposed then to three months on beaches covered in plastic. And that's where, you know, my, uh, my drive for the plastic pollution, I think, began. Um, and that was featured in uh, Craig Leeson's movie, uh, Plastic Ocean. Yeah, fantastic. I interviewed Craig earlier on in the season. I mean, with Oceans Asia, you seem to have expanded on that and include a whole raft of other marine issues. You've actually got quite a lot on your hands these days. Uh, what exactly is Oceans Asia covering other than just the plastic? Yeah, so, so at the moment, we, uh, we, we obviously being based here in Hong Kong, um, I do a lot of work still on the dried seafood trade. Um, Hong Kong being a hub of wildlife crime smuggling um, and trafficking. So I spend a lot of time working to expose the shark fin industry as well as other items. So we're, we're focusing a lot um, on sea cucumbers at the moment. So we've been doing a lot on investigating the sea cucumber industry. And people sort of think, what? You know, sea cucumbers are as important as all the other species in the ocean, but they're not cute, they're not cuddly, they're not sexy. So nobody really does any campaigns on it. But we are importing, you know, tons and tons of sea cucumber. Um, and they play a, an, an important role in the ecosystem. So that's one thing we're doing, sea cucumber crime in Sri Lanka and India at the moment. We're writing a report on. Um, I'm doing a lot of work with Dr. Lindsay Porter and Naomi Brennan, um, doing acoustic work on the, the Chinese white dolphins. And more importantly, um, I'm trying to raise awareness on the finless porpoise population that we have here in Hong Kong that are, um, you know, we're seeing a mass mortality event. We're seeing lots of these animals washing up dead. We've got no idea how many numbers there are. So working with uh, Lindsay and Naomi to raise the bar, raise the awareness of these beautiful mammals that nobody really knows about. Everybody knows the Chinese white dolphin, but nobody knows about the finless porpoise. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we look at and we do a lot with Oceans Asia is obviously my background being photography. Um, we look into using technology where we can to, you know, aid conservation. So in the words, you know, for the porpoises, we've been using a lot of drone footage. Um, last year, we got the first ever drone footage of this species of finless porpoise ever recorded. And since then, we've built up a library now of over uh, one hour's footage of the animal's behavior, which scientists could never see before because they are probably one of the shyest marine animals. So there's that. There's also a lot of work doing illegal fishing, as you mentioned. And a lot of that is international based. So we're tracking uh, refrigerated cargo ships and seeing where they're going, who they're rendezvousing with, different fishing fleets where they're operating. We've also got a program where we have some undercover 
people actually working on these fishing boats who are reporting back to us um, atrocities that they're seeing and documenting and then we're following that up. Um, what else are we doing? It's quite a lot. Well, it sounds like some of it is quite dangerous. I mean, you were director of Sea Shepherd Asia for five years. What was it like working for them? By all accounts, the Sea Shepherd team are seen by many as modern day eco crusaders, but by some as enemy number one. Uh, working with Sea Shepherd was fantastic. Uh, and I still on very good terms with them. Um, the reason I joined the organization in the first place was it was a no nonsense organization. It was no faffling around or holding up a banner and protesting. It was, let's get in there, do what we can to stop things. And, uh, that was what appealed to me in the first place. It still does now. And I still, a lot of <clears throat> my modus operandi is exactly the same. I haven't changed. I'm still very much, uh, if it's wrong, I'll say it's wrong and I don't care who you are. <laughs> we'll, we'll bring it to the forefront. Um, and you know, that, that no nonsense sort of, I mean, I, the first campaign I joined was called no compromise. And I think it, it sort of says it all really. Um, you know, the oceans are dying in our time and we need to step up. We can't be sort of you know, tiptoeing around issues because somebody might be losing some money. I mean, we're talking about ecosystems, you know, sort of literally crashing around us. And these yeah. are the life support systems of the planet. And I use the analogy of, you know, being a diver, if I was a diver and I'm swimming along and someone is slowly turning off your air supply, would you be... <laughs> what would you do uh, and that is actually what is happening you know the oceans are dying and we're uh, you know more than 50 percent of the oxygen is coming from those at the ocean the rest of it is coming from the forests and we're ch chopping down those trees so we are literally turning off our own air supply um, mm. and that is why i think the no nonsense approach of just uh, you know addressing it dead center is uh, the way to be yeah, uh, Gary, is there a sea change in attitudes to the pres preservation of our marine ecosystem? I mean, marine pollution, of course, is on everyone's lips. We all know about it. We see it. But often, and despite that, people feel quite helpless. Um, I think there is definitely a change. Uh, we're, you know, I, mean, I, I, I was talking with Captain Paul Watson about this a few, you know, a few years ago. Um, sea Shepherd was deemed radical you know now we have governments blowing up fishing vessels <laughs> i said you know sea shepherd needs to reinvent itself because we're no longer radical enough um you know governments are starting to get onto the the same page and where where for example with sea shepherd they were they were deemed extreme now governments are actually coming in line and that's where you know sea shepherd is actually working in line with uh, governments are uh, working alongside law enforcement and government entities. So, you know, the governments of the world are stepping up. It is top of the agenda now, uh, ocean conservation. Illegal fishing was one of the lesser spoken in the general public. Uh, and that's where movies such as Seaspiracy, I think, have been a massive game changer. And I think, you know, now we've managed to bring that to the forefront as well. So it's, yeah. it's, it's going in the right direction, but is it going fast enough, I think, is the, uh, is the question. Well, I want to talk about Seaspiracy, 
For those who don't have Netflix or don't know about the movie, it's, well, it's become a rallying cry for conservationists and not too surprisingly, a symbol of hate to the fishing industries and kind of a thorn in the side of many governments. Sea Spiracy explores the harmful impacts of the commercial fishing industry. And while many experts have criticized the film for making misleading claims, it does raise an important question. Is it possible to eat food sustainably? I mean, the buzzy documentary highlights the serious impact that overfishing, illegal seafood industry, dolphin capture, pollution, shark fin, and of course, the devastating effect ghost nets are having on our oceans. It's one of those films I think everyone needs to watch. So Gary, what was your role in the movie? Well, I, I looked after, so Ali and Lucy, the couple who were making the, the, the movie, uh, when they when they came to Hong Kong, I was basically looking after them here. We spent two weeks going around in Hong Kong. We did quite obviously a lot of filming in the shark fin industry area, the shark streets of Shung Wan. Uh, but we also did a lot of the plastic pollution footage was shot here. Um, obviously, we have enough of it. Um, and we also went into Ocean Park and filmed some of the captivity uh, elements for the movie. I mean, it's uh, fascinating and disheartening to see how the Shengwan district of Hong Kong is chock-a-block with shops selling dried shark's fins, starfish, seahorses. I mean, taking a stroll down DeVoe Road, you're forgiven for thinking it looks like a losing battle, but these battles can be won. After all, it was only five years ago or maybe less that Hollywood Road had plenty of shops selling ivory, and that's pretty much gone now. Yes, it's 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 very disheartening when you walk down there. It is the sixth mass extinction literally in the shops? You can see every single species being overharvested, and there are um, ton, tons of shops selling the shark's fin. Yes, I mean it, it's and those are just the retail shops. Then there's also all the uh, sorting houses and wholesale shops and warehouses that you don't see. Um, and the scale, the magnitude is is just unprecedented. I mean, 50% or more of all the world shark fin pass through Hong Kong. Some of it is consumed here. Most of it goes on into China. And when people say 100 million sharks die every year and people go, that's impossible. Well, I would, I would estimate about 250 plus million a year. Um, just... Uh, from a, a campaign I did, one of my last campaigns I did at Sea with Sea Shepherd, we arrested uh, 15 big commercial shark fishing boats in Timor-Leste. And they were killing 80,000 sharks a month. Oh, my God. And that was just 15 boats. So in one year, they were doing a million sharks easily. And that's 15 boats. China has 4,000 far-distant fishing vessels. Japan, Korea, Taiwan, they all have 3,000 plus. And that's not even going into the Spanish fleet. And you know, when we talk about shark fin importers to Hong Kong, most people are very surprised to learn that Spain is actually normally number one. If not number two, they jostle between Spain and Indonesia. But Spain is one of the largest importers of shark fin to Hong Kong. And that's an EU nation. And as we touched on in Seaspiracy, subsidized by taxpayers' dollars. So European taxpayers are actually subsidizing the shark fin industry. Well, that's incredible. One of the things I found 
when watching Seaspiracy was the sheer size of the global fishing industry and how they're now so large and so powerful, they've almost become untouchable. Yeah, correct. I mean, when it comes to lobbying and governments, um, the fishing industry have a massive voice. Um, too powerful a voice, I think. Um, you know, because they, they, they play on the whole, um, you know, food provider role, you know, so we are providing food for the nations. And as the populations grow, obviously, food scarcity is going to increase. And it is literally like a race for the last fish. Everybody's out there trying to, it's like a supermarket grab, get as much as you can, as fast as you can. And that's where this whole sustainability myth or, uh, you know, ideal um, sort of came from. And the one of the biggest claims in the movie is there is no such thing as uh, sustainable wild caught seafood. Um, and it's something I've been saying for years, um, but only because there's literally three, if you put it in really basic layman terms, there's three elements to make it sustainable. One, you need to have uh, a fishing method, which is non-destructive to the environment and also takes a minimum bycatch. Now, a lot of the fisheries of the world are actually getting towards that. Um, they are managing to reduce their bycatch and they're not destroying the ocean seafloor and things like that. So that's one part. The second part is uh, scientific quotas by non-biased scientists. And that's a, a key word there, non-biased, because a lot of the science, the fishery scientists are paid for by the fishing industry or by governments who, you know, they, they have their quotas they need to fill. They have their, you know, their trade deals and everything. So they, they write these reports that are very biased. And a lot of those fishery scientists were the ones that were coming out against seaspiracy because uh, obviously it went against their narrative. And the third one, which is most important and probably the weakest of all is enforcement. Uh, enforcement on the high seas is almost non-existent. So how can you have a sustainable fishing boat going out there catching a set quota when alongside it could be another 20 boats fishing from the same uh, fish, they call it fish stock. I, I don't like to call fish stock, I call it wildlife, but um, you know, from the same fishery. So if you've got one boat going out and his quota is 100 tons and then you've got another 20 boats going out and they're catching 100 tons each as well, how can the, the other one be sustainable? So it's a very basic dumbed down version of it, but um, yeah, yeah but that's it, where the sustainable seafood thing, it's a buzzword. It helps sell seafood. Well, it was possibly the most depressing part of the film for me to find out that the sustainable fish I buy in the supermarkets is anything but sustainable. I mean, it sounds like some catastrophic legal loophole. Yeah, I mean, these fisheries, uh, you know, the, the bodies such as Marine Stewardship Council, the MSC with the blue tick, which was featured in the movie. There's another one called Friends of the Sea. And just for an example, I mean, I've just been doing an investigation into them. Um, they certify sustainable southern bluefin tuna from Port Lincoln in Australia. Southern bluefin tuna is critically endangered on the IUCN red list. You just need to look it up. Google IUCN Red List, Southern Bluefin Tuna, critically endangered. It's the most endangered of all three Bluefin Tuna species, yet Friends of the Sea certify it as sustainable. Um, and the Australian government have just actually increased the quota. 
this year. So, you know, how can it be sustainable when it's already IUCN red list, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, when there's all these questions, I mean, there's another investigation we're doing in New Zealand to one of the big fisheries there that are catching bycatch of endangered species. Um, and yet they're MSC certified. So that one is an investigation we're doing ongoing at the moment. So, Well, I wanted to ask you about bycatch. What exactly is bycatch? Well, bycatch is a, is a gray area as well. Um, so bycatch is basically something that was not the target species. So for example, if you were going out to catch tuna and you set your long lines or you set your, your gill nets, well, you accidentally catch sharks as well. That's bycatch. It wasn't a target species, but it was something you got in the net at the same time or on the hooks at the same time. Now, some of these animals are what they call discard, which is just, they're just thrown back overboard dead. That's the wasteful practice. That's the, that's the worst of it all. But some of the bycatch will actually go to market. So there's like a secondary market. So you may go out and that's where the tuna boats with all the shark fin in the, in originally, they were always catching sharks and sharks are worthless. But the fins were expensive, which is why they used to cut the fins off, keep the fins, throw the body over. Then obviously laws changed and now they need to land the whole shark or fins attached and there's different loopholes. But yeah, that's, that's basically what bycatch is, is uh, non-target species that you accidentally catch. So Gary, one of the things that really interests me is the fact that the major fishing companies don't seem to care about the oceans that they're actually making their money from. They're trashing the oceans and leaving these things called ghost nets. I mean, what's that all about? Yeah, I, it, it, it is. It, it beggars belief. Um, you know, for, and it's not just the big commercial fishers, even the smaller ones, the smaller fishermen around you know, Hong Kong. Um, you know, if, you, if your resource is the wild animals that are in the ocean that you're trying to catch, why would you throw a killing machine, a fishing net overboard? Um, I, we went to one beach uh, last month. We pulled up two and a half tons of ghost nets in one small bay in three hours. You know, all this, all these fishing nets have just been dumped. They're all entwined with each other and just literally just dumped overboard. Um, I mean, it just seems incredible that you would just dump your fishing, knowing that they will be there for hundreds of years. Absolutely. And also, I mean, I'm doing a research study at the moment on some of the beach trash because uh, a large percentage of it is actually fishing gear or fishing related trash. So all the polystyrene boxes that you see covering all of our beaches, they're all from the fishing industry. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, so when people, when we, you know, in Seaspiracy, we were talking about, you know, the nets. Obviously, when people say fishing industry trash, they think nets, but it's not just the nets, it's the floats, it's the polystyrene boxes, it's the oil cans, everything that gets discarded and just tossed overboard. These fishermen just throw it overboard. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, Hong Kong's main um, fish market is Aberdeen Harbour. And there again, they just throw their polystyrene boxes over um, into the water. Yeah, you go to Aberdeen Harbour any any day of the week and you'll see polystyrene boxes. It's because polystyrene boxes, they're great. They have the insulating property. They're cheap. But 
they also break very easily. And as soon as they do, they just toss them overboard. Uh, they also get caught by the wind. And if they're not tied yeah. down, they get blown overboard. They don't turn around and come and pick them back up. They just leave them. And these, these polystyrene boxes break down and break down and break down with the elements and the wave actions. And that's what forms all these tiny beads of polystyrene all over the beaches that make it look like snow. Mm, sounds a bit like a, an education problem as well. Absolutely, yeah. So let's take a reality check. Does this mean humans should stop eating fish altogether? I would have thought that's neither realistic nor likely. Small-scale fisheries and coastal communities and low-income countries are the main sources of nutrients for over 1 billion people on Earth, while plant-based alternatives can be a great option for some. They don't work for all pe people and all cultures. Yep. No, absolutely. I, one of one the, uh, the main things from the movie was stop eating fish. Yeah. Um, but... but but the, and a lot of criticism came from that saying that's impossible the thing that we need to remember is this is a netflix documentary it is targeted at people in wealthiest wealthy countries who have a netflix subscription people who have a choice people who can go to the supermarket and make an educated choice we're not talking about artisanal fishermen in the coastal regions of the philippines or africa west africa these are substance fishermen. We're not saying they need to stop fishing. They've been fishing for thousands of years and everything was fine. They're actually the victims at the moment of the commercial industrial fishing fleets. The Western fleets that are going there or the Asian fleets that are going there, raping and pillaging their oceans, strip mining it of everything they have, mm. putting them into poverty and starvation and causing you know, conflict zones. I mean, this is what happened in Somalia with these pirates. They were just fishermen who basically lost everything. And the more that this happens around the world, the more Somali pirate scenarios we're going to see. So we need to stop commercial industrial fishing, not the regional coastal fishing. We're not saying everybody needs to stop. And that would, that is mm. a, a, you know, it would never happen. And it, it's, it's not feasible. I mean, obviously, I'm a middle class Netflix list, uh, watcher. How exactly do I find out if the fish on the menu is endangered or line caught or wild? I mean, it's quite a tricky thing. It is, yeah. Um, and that's where <laughs> avoiding as best you can is obviously the best solution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for uh, one guideline has always been to, you know, if you have to eat fish, go further down the food chain. Don't go for the apex predators. Don't go for mm. the tunas, the sharks, the marlins, things like that, which also have a bioaccumulation of uh, heavy metals in them as well, which are obviously not healthy. But um, at the end of the day, you know, eating less is, is probably the key. And some yeah. people can stop completely. Some people can't. But at least if everybody was to reduce, that would remove a lot of the impact on the ocean. Um, yeah. So, Gary, look, um, I want to end on a positive note, if indeed there is anything positive about this. Are we winning or is it a losing battle? I would have said if you asked me this question a year ago, I would have said we're in a losing battle, but um, we're having small victories. Um, after Seaspiracy, and I'm not saying it's the single entity that's fixed things, um, it has, there is a, an awakening at the moment 
uh, a very, very positive awakening. Um, and it's resonating around the planet. And I think with, uh, you know, obviously with our pandemic situation that we're sitting in as well, a lot of people are at home, a lot of people are actually looking into these things. They've got time to sit at home and Google and uh, actually do a bit of fact checking. Um, and I, I, I'm feeling quite optimistic at the moment that um, we, we will change this, we will win. The message uh, we have, is getting out. We have, no, we have no alternative. There is no planet B, you know, so we have to win. Otherwise, we just won't be here. As, you know, as my good friend Paul would say, if the oceans die, we die. And uh, there is no truer statement than that. Um, so we have to win. There is no, no option. Well, it's a sobering thought. Gary Stokes, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, but sadly, we're out of time. Thank you for joining me on Conversations with Pete Wood. Thank you very much, Peter. Cheers, bye. Bye. Well, that's all for now. But if you enjoyed listening to that podcast, you might also find my book, Mud Between Your Toes, faintly amusing. You can buy the book on Amazon. You can find both series one and two of my podcasts on a plethora of platforms, from direct links on my Mud Between Your Toes Facebook page to apps such as Podbean, Apple Music, iTunes Store, Spotify Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, and Google Podcasts. So don't miss out on my next episode. Goodbye.